here we are, we're in the plunge. Where we land, who knows? But I think this is a big invitation for permaculture. My whole pivot point with permaculture is that the invitation needs to be just a little simpler. To what degree will that work have any relevance or stick when, of course, when the shit hits the fan, people just want instant solutions. They don't want yeah. a lesson about. Reflect on your, your design <laughs> process. And, and what yet... is the essence of this crisis? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to have food in the pantry, please. I'm not a prepper. I'm really not. I don't have a go bag. So many purpose statements that clients bring to me. It's like, that'd be a great purpose statement for your project, for their project, for pretty much any <laughs> project anywhere. You know, it's like, totally. you, you are absent from the statement. What do you want to be doing with your one precious life? I think I'm always kind of engaging on that level with people, perhaps uncomfortably and sort of unwillingly. People don't necessarily sign up for it, but I just can't help it. Greetings, everybody. Welcome on back to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. This is Dan Palmer coming at you from about week six, it must be, of lockdown in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic that is still very much uh, a part of all of our lives. This is episode 35 in which I share a, a beautiful catch-up conversation with J Jason Gerhardt, who appears here for our third episode together. I just always love checking in with Jason and here we're swapping notes uh, as to how we've been traveling, what we've been up to, how we're navigating the, the current crisis, what we think it means for permaculture. Um, there's some conversation around the topics of essence and uniqueness with regard to people and place uh, and a whole bunch of other delicious topics that we explore together. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks as always to Jason for making the time and for having such positive and generous energy towards this project. Uh, I don't think I'll say anything at the end. I will give you a heads up that there is a lot going on with the project right now. In the next week, I have, I'm have i booking in interviews, uh, both the, another interview with Bill Reed um, from the Regenesis Group. Got a bunch of questions and topics to follow up with him. And also my first conversation for this podcast with permaculture co-originator David Holmgren, which is exciting and kind of hard case given that he lives half an hour away and we work really closely together. I guess I've had reasons for for not bringing him on the, on, on the show earlier than this, which maybe I can can share uh, when the episode comes around. But anyway, really exciting to, to be welcoming his amazing voice into the unfolding, emerging, ever-evolving conversation that is Making Permaculture Stronger. Learn more about it at makingpermaculturestronger.net. Support the project at patreon.com slash makingpermaculturestronger. Enjoy this conversation, and I wish you all the very best in surfing, navigating this extraordinary time we find ourselves Within and I hope you are finding the uh, the silver lining within the clouds and the the opportunities within the crisis. Okay, let's jump on in with Jason. I'm here with Jason Gerhard, and um, it just occurred to me that I think you are unprecedented. We'll talk about other unprecedented things happening in the world later, but you're unprecedented as a guest on this show, and that I think this is your third time. Oh wow! Am I no the one's first? been there before. The I've first, what is, what is that, a three-peat, I guess? Yeah, it's a three-peat <laughs> three with Jason Gerhard. We've had plenty of twos, but you're the first three, so we're, we're breaking new ground here. Awesome. And I'm excited to be connecting. And, and a big part of what we're doing here is we're recording the fact we're, just, we're connecting as colleagues and friends after it's been however many months. And I'm really feeling excitement to, yeah, just to, just to connect in and... I have the beginning beginnings of a few lines of thoughts that haven't really gone anywhere. And I thought, oh, the space I enjoy with Jason is like a perfect 
incubation space for those thoughts. Mm. When I say words like incubation, I'm, maybe I should choose my language more carefully. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, well, where, where do we start? Maybe maybe I'll just I'll just get a few of these possible directions we're going off my chest. So one of them is around it's around the sense I've had for a long time that at some point there's going to be global cultural shocks. And mm. at that time, to what degree will all this energy I've been putting into developing clarity around design process and, and, you know, participating in conversation that's aimed at increasing design process literacy and our ability to be stewards or guardians of, of facilitators or whatever you want to call it of design processes that really honor permaculture's aspiration and contribute to life in the world. To what degree will, will, will that work have any relevance or stick when of course when the shit hits the fan people just want instant solutions they don't want yep. a lesson about you know, <laughs> reflect on your you know your design <laughs> process and and what yet the essence of this crisis <laughs> <laughs> and yet no, i just want to have food in the pantry please exactly yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and yet i mean one, one thing that's happening is is there's been a big spike in, in people listening to the podcast and becoming patrons mm -hmm. and which is which is really heartwarming and another thing is I've, I've known the whole time that there is relevance here and that's one thing I want to start working out and exploring because you know an obvious example is that now if ever is the time for generative transformation there's no time for detailed plans and because the context we're all operating within is evolving so rapidly the second a detailed plan is finished it's useless and you know all that kind of thing and the whole assemblies for, for a lot of reasons assembly isn't so viable uh -huh. you know, it's the idea of a transformation like we can't just go and buy pre-formed uh, components or elements from a shop anymore so much right that we've actually got right. to retrofit and transform what we've already got anyway so that that's one kind of thing that and I, I know from an email you've been doing some reflections on on all this stuff so i thought that could be a cool direction to go on for sure as well as um, whatever's alive for you at the moment yeah yeah that's really nice to hear you say the, the generative transformation piece in this in the context of where we're at right now mm. i mean we've been locked down for i don't i'm losing track of time i think it's been close to three weeks now mm. you know i can't go to home depot or i can't go to the hardware store or a lot of my suppliers are closed and we basically on this project burn through all the materials that we had for the projects that we had outlined and we're having to get really creative and figure out design on the fly when one we have this house with a landscape around it i had to just design it on the fly there was no time to you know go and draw it up and feel into it and think about it like i'm feeling into it obviously but it's mm -hmm. no drawing basically mm -hmm. a little bit of sketching on tracing paper and then it's like go build it you know mm -hmm. right after work because mm -hmm. i have employees that i have to keep busy you know, ideally anyway, we're oh, still able to work. That's a nice thing. And I'm deeply grateful for that. And it's challenging. It, it brings its own challenges. When you say it's challenging, be, what do you mean? Having employees or continuing to work or the situation in general is challenging? Or all, continuing all to work through, through this crisis. Yeah. Um, and it's challenging on many levels. One, like, doing the social distancing thing is pretty challenging when you have a crew of people and you need to, you know, everybody kneel down right here and look at this slope and see these elevation points and mm. 
we need to get this just right. And, and we all kind of almost have to be right next to each other, but we're finding, you know, creative ways to like take turns doing that and tool sanitization. You know, everybody basically has their own tools now. It's also challenging on the mental level of, frankly, some days I just, I feel overwhelmed mentally right now in the midst of this pandemic. And I, I, I just kind of want to sit around some days yeah. <laughs> and not stew, but just kind of let go and not worry about things too much. Um, you know, work brings its own stress and there's an added mental stress with the pandemic for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. I can, so, I can so relate to that. We moved into a new place about five, well, probably six weeks ago now. And so, yeah, we've been in a similar situation of, of scrambling to, to progress the gardens and organize chickens and water tanks and all that kind of stuff in a, in a short time frame with um, limited access to resources. And I've, been, I've, I've felt so grateful for all the work on design process because it's been a full, fully fledged living process, generative transformation. Okay, you know, what, what, what can we change here? What, what, what can't? What's, what's the right next step? We need to get veggies in ASAP. So, oh, where's the most obvious place? You know, and so on. And, and what's, mm-hmm. what's emerging is a, be- is a beautiful thing. And, and what are the forces at play? There's, oh, we've got two daughters. We're enjoying lockdown with, mostly enjoying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so where's the fairy cubby going in the Lord of the Rings cabin, all, all, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's falling out. But certainly what you said about the, in many ways, it's a blessing to be able to continue uh, one's creative outlets and doing doing work but that the, the mental load the sense making load and the yeah. desire which i have strongly just to vegetate for a few days that's right go for long bush walks yeah and my my fiance she's um she's out of work more or less um she's a yoga and meditation teacher and she's doing you know some virtual classes but it's pretty minimal compared to what she usually does so she's at home all day getting bored, you know, and Mm. I'm sort of like super busy at work and there's almost envy, you know, I'm like, I kind of want to be you right now. I want to just chill out. And the other part of we we had a a vacation scheduled in the midst of this that we had to cancel. So Mm. I was already really looking forward to a bunch of time off and um, now she gets it, but but I, I got to keep going to pay the bills. Yeah. One, one thing I've been sitting with, and I was even wondering about it, an episode on this, maybe like bringing what I call holistic decision-making because I've been caught up in a bubble of busyness. You know, we're transitioning the business. We're having all these meetings. How do we support our team and customers mm-hmm. to ride this mm-hmm. out and, and, and redesign and retrofit who we are and how we are as a, a business, as well as navigating the fact that a lot of what we do is the demand has gone through the roof. So we're suddenly really, busy and certain team members are at risk of burning out or getting overwhelmed and how, how we manage all that. So we're actually kind of hiring at the moment and all, all that. So that's, that's been a big demand and I've taken on a, a few other projects, um, cutting my teeth in the mediation space using, using process design process to, oh, to wow. develop clarity about the complexities of human beings and psychology and, and, and how we get ourselves into highly tense situations and what are the, regenerative possibilities to navigate through that those sounds really fruitful oh my god it's i'm um, really great I've, i haven't 
occasionally lost a bit of sleep over it, which is something I need to learn how to do. I'm practicing creating this kind of filter or force field at the bedroom door so that when I walk through, <laughs> other people's problems stay on the outside of the bedroom. They don't come into the bed with me, totally. um, which is a great, great thing to, to navigate. Yeah, and then I'm still doing all this work with Carol Sanford. Anyway, there's, there's been a lot of things that I have, I have noticed a bit of um, victimhood in the sense of like, oh, I'm so busy, I just want to chill out. And just moving back into a more um, responsible, proactive space of, hang on, I, I said yes to all these things. I'm choosing what I do every hour of my day. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have to do it. You know, I'm not going to die or starve if I, if I say no to this job or this project. And so it's like, all right, how am I going to choose my way into some open space? And yeah. Yeah. A, a great place to be in, you know, that a lot of folks aren't for sure. So yeah, maybe, maybe it'll be something I'll, I'll think, think over and, get get somebody on the show or you know, find some way to explore that we've mm-hmm. also gone through a process or we're, we're in a process as a family my wife and i have um, co-creating a, a context you know what what is it during this lockdown period what is it that we value most as a family and how can we decide to that again because there's there's so many ripe opportunities for being in a reactive space here and a and, and for the like the cycle of fear to totally to drive panic and all that stuff, how, how do we proactively decide our way through this and, and also relax into that distinction between what we can't control or necessarily understand right now and what we can, you know, there's things happening that we, we have to fit in with, you know, like they're, yep. they're, they're high on the scale of permanence. <laughs> that's, that's right. And then we have a sphere of influence that's still wide open within that. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, you you all are in an interesting situation going into winter, I think. Mm, yeah. In the southern hemisphere and and what may happen with that. We're sort of we're obviously going out of winter and moving into the warmer months. But it's even it seems really unknown what this virus is going to do um in comparison to other viruses in the past in the heat and humidity. Totally. Who knows? It's just question marks know. in all directions. Yeah. Totally. Yep. Yeah. With with the transition of the seasons, things I think I have been feeling really grateful for the timing in the sense that we're going to have like six weeks of of still warm weather, still warm soil, so we can get the brassicas, the cabbage. You know, we can get mm. some bulk in the plant, get some biomass um, in advance of the the winter slowdown. That's really what I've been focused on too. Honestly, is well, we moved uh, to a place, a new place. Uh, I want to say eight or nine months ago. And normally I would build my garden like just immediately, you know, I take my moving boxes basically and sheet mulch the lawn and, you know, start growing food. We had a series of unfortunate events that happened in sequence that prevented that from happening. But this one allowed us the time to do it. And in two days, you know, we now have a garden with food planted in it. So it just took getting the materials here. We spent, our time going and getting wood chips and comp and getting a compost delivery. As long as I have a big compost pile, I know I can survive. It's such a blessing. One, one thing I've been feeling so much gratitude for is because I have a lot of close friends and a lot of them are close by. Some of them are 200 meters away who've been developing you know, permaculture homesteads for 20 years, 30 years. And David Holmgren and Sue Dennett's place half an hour away for 40 plus years or whatever it's, whatever it's been might be a bit less than that. But um, so they're obviously in a great position in a lot of ways. I mean, no one's without their challenges. And initially I would have thought, Oh, we kind of screwed because we just got here. It's a boring <laughs> generic brick and tile house in the suburbs, you know, like, there's no way we can really 
get in the resilience game anytime soon, but then just getting on with it and realizing how grateful I am for the years of, of working with other clients and permaculture and all that. It's like, Hey, we're, we're five weeks in and we've got crank and garden. We've got chickens laying eggs. We've got the water tanks, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're feeling really secure. I've been having a lot of um, retrospective gratitude for so many of those kind of one liners or comments from Bill Mollison too, you know, that, put in a couple of days of work and you got food, you know, you got to, you got a garden and, and also the take, take responsibility for your, for your life and that of your yeah, children uh, Do it now and, and, and get your home and garden in order. I mean, we haven't been here very long, but we didn't launch into it full scale until we, we had that kick up the bum of holy shit, this thing's swooping in on us and we don't know, even know what it is. Mm-hmm. Let's get organized here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the biggest, the most important thing that I, did was looked at the news early on and really tried to understand what this was and honestly feel into it and just sort of what is my intuition telling me and I felt like this was going to be a big deal it it just felt that way Mm -hmm. and so I did all my you know I'm, I'm basically always prepared for something I have buckets of non-perishable food you know I've got I've got my needs met. I've got seeds. I usually have a compost pile. That's actually one, one that's not usually on the list. I don't mean a compost pile. I mean a pile of compost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So finished compost that's ready to be used. Um, that's just as that should be on every prepper's list, you know. And I don't really consider myself a prepper. I'm not a. I'm not a prepper. I'm really not. I don't have a go bag. I'm not. I don't put a lot of energy into that. I just make some key decisions to have some, you know, essential items that are in surplus and they're, the surplus is there for when I, you know, yeah. don't yeah. want to go to the pharmacy or don't want to go to the grocery store. And that's the whole thing right now is I, I was with friends early on and I was like, look, y'all need to have some food. Y'all need to have some basic necessities so that you can weather this storm. And one of my friends was really focused on, well, do you think the food system is really going to crumble? And I was like, well, I just, I don't know. You know, it's a good idea to be prepared in case whatever happens. And as it turns out, it's not the food system that's going to fall apart. Seemingly. I mean, if this goes on for months and months and months, yes, we are going to run into food system issues, but what it is is I don't want to go to the store and I don't want my friends to go to the store. I don't want my friends going out in public. If they can be at home for six weeks with the food they need, that's great. So it's more about that than it is, you know, the whole system collapsing though. Like I said, that risk is very real if this continues for months and months. I so get that compost thing. We rented in another place last year and it was a pretty basic setup. We just threw our, all our fruit scraps into a, into a bin and a bit of carbon and whatever. And then when we moved house, I made a point of, we moved to our, you know, our bed and our couch or whatever and, and our compost. We moved our compost and that was sitting here. And yeah, just to be able to put a handful of finished compost under each seedling. What a, you're right. right. It's, it's, yeah, you, you don't kind of think of it so immediately or it's not on the list. You've got compost and seeds and a few tools. Well, I remember a lot of my first gardens, you know, that was like, I didn't know, I I didn't know enough. And so I didn't even, you know, know the value of a lot of compost. And you'd get these wimpy little lettuce heads and these wimpy (laughs) little greens, you know, and 
I know the difference and a big pile of finished compost makes all the difference. It really cranks out production. Yeah. You, you got a big pile of finished compost. That's wealth. You, you totally, you are a wealthy being. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We ordered extra. I mean, we got, fortunately there's a company in town that'll deliver it to you. And I ordered a couple yards extra just, you know, in case yeah. I do need to turn my front lawn into this is a rental. If I have to turn that into a vegetable garden, I just be, tell my landlord, like, look, dude, sorry, <laughs> I'm growing food for the neighborhood. Surplus is an interesting one in, in this circumstance. You know, you realize that some things need to be in really big surplus before it's actually excess. Yeah, on the last episode, I interviewed Carol Sanford and then I applied these four levels of framework she, she shared to my experience of navigating the last month or so. It was just interesting to watch my own psychology and it took a while for me to get to that. Okay, how's everyone else doing? What about we have some surplus ready to share? Right. But initially, it was in a, what she calls a value return space, which is okay, let's be in a position for us as a family to obtain a yield. And um, Totally. And, and then, okay, what about some surplus to to share and, and how as a as a street are we going to be in some sort of position to what she calls arrest disorder and then, and then from there to this idea of doing good how can we be of service to how, how can we unique to regenerate life which is how can we uniquely be of service how, what are the ways what's what's the potential here aside from the problems for us as a family us as a street as a community as this ecosystem where you know what are the opportunities for for it to merge out of this in a way that works itself. And that's really what I spent a lot of my early time in at the early, early phases of the pandemic. Um, what I spent my time doing was because I'm not surrounded by only preppers, you know, I'm not in this like community where all my friends are the same. Mm. I made sure that my coworkers, my family and my friends that weren't, wouldn't already be prepared that they understood what we were facing, you know, and I've had particularly the, the man I work for, he wrote me a week ago and said, you know, I, I just have to thank you for bringing this all to my attention so early on because I was able to secure myself. And he is a person who has a really big capacity to, an act change and he said it's allowed me to now focus on the community Uh and i was just like wow that's the highest compliment you know i could receive is that he listened and Uh and is now in a a bit in a position to be of service Uh oh that's beautiful yes and that that alone as a result of your experiences and some some degree of be good to come back to this, but some some degree of kind of even semi-conscious readiness to be able to bring the message home for others because it's it's a massive psych- psychological transition. If you haven't been there, haven't been oh, the whole global system is so fragile and dependent, it could go down any time. When it, when it actually happens, your psychology just needs some kind of buffer time to catch up with the reality. One one thing I was I'm, I'm, I'm starting in a lot of senses. One thing I was grateful for, but another thing I was grateful for was. My, my my mother and father and sister and they're all in New Zealand and New Zealand's experience lagged behind Australia's by a couple of weeks and so I was it was great to really be able to land the, the significance of, of what was coming and and similarly that they, they were really appreciative of of having that direction and guidance early on. Yeah, 
when it's just like, is this, this isn't real? Is this real? No, this isn't real. Do I, do I need to pay? To, no, no, surely not. This is, what, what do you mean? Like life, my entire understanding of what my life's about and how it works, that's about to crumble. No, that can't, you know what I mean? It's right. And observing that, I mean, it's been a, never had before opportunity to just observe that process. I, I was considering too how, you know, you, you could imagine if the government got behind permaculture and said, okay, we're going to do an experiment. We're all going to go into lockdown for a month or whatever. And we're just going to see how set up we are as families and communities and all that and see, and see how we go. And, and for different reasons, that experiment is happening right now. Mm-hmm. And it's starting a lot of conversations alongside the trauma and tragedy and death and all the incredibly negative aspects of this. There are some potentially uh, no doubt learnings happening yeah. right now. I, I've not spent enough time articulating these thoughts, but I've probably shared more on your site than anywhere, actually, as I think about this, that my whole pivot point with permaculture is that the invitation needs to be just a little simpler, you know, in a way of this idea of creating lastingness in our culture, you know, like that we're making decisions so that we may last, you know, Mm. so we can continue. And as I've said before, it, it seems at any moment that we could, you know, plunge off of a cliff as a society. And here we are, right? We're in the plunge. Yeah. Where we land, who knows? But I think this is a big invitation for permaculture mm. is, is what I'm thinking right now. Is it's, a, it's an incredibly attractive proposal to dive into something and take something on as a practice to last, you know, and do it with the zones, you know, however you want to think about that Mm. with your family first, your friend circle and and out into your community by region, et cetera. I think there's going to be immense interest in permaculture that, that we haven't even seen after this. hundred percent. Yeah. Once people kind of get through the, the traumatic psychology stuff, I think they're going to look for solutions and there's not a whole lot better out there than. No, well, it's unbelievably perfect, right? It's almost crazy. It's like, so what's permaculture? What's this thing that's all about being in position so that when a global crisis comes, you're as well placed as you possibly could be. So, right. Right. Okay. Well, I think I'm going to sign up. (laughs) Tell me the details (laughs) later, but that sounds pretty relevant right now. Exactly. Um, As opposed yeah. As opposed, go. though, to like jumping in with some details of, you know, water catchment, food exactly. for it. Like, yeah. It's like, you don't, the, that doesn't have to be on the invitation. You know, the invitation can be a whole lot simpler and we don't need, you know, the details come later, start with the pattern. Yeah. Right? I've been sitting with that too. And my thoughts aren't also aren't that articulated. But yeah, because I mean, that, that's a beautiful, relevant, and, and amazing service that so many permaculturists are offering right now, right? They're, they're live streaming and, you know, if you can't get seeds from the seed company, go to the food shop and what, what are your options and here's how you start gardening. And that's, that's, right. that's all beautiful. And of course, a lot of people without any connection to permaculture are presumably offering that kind of information too. But yeah, honoring the opportunity for the, the simpler and deeper invitation to be really clear as well towards, towards lastingness. I think this is a big old invitation, you know, and it's almost like getting getting a wedding invitation in the mail from your best friend or, you know, your brother or your sister. And it's kind of the extension. I think this is an invitation from the extension of ourselves that we're, that's just asking us, calling us back 
to something that that is more considerate at the very least, you know, and one of those considerations should be, are we able to continue doing this? Whatever it is we're doing, can we last doing this? And we have enough signs. This is the other piece of it is it's unfortunate that we wait until a crisis like this happens. You know, that almost goes to Holmgren's, David Holmgren's thing about descent and sort of having a planned energy descent. And I think you make a lot better decisions when you're, when you have a little more time to plan and think through it. And now here we are in the middle of this and a lot of decisions are getting made that are probably not going to be the best decisions for the long term, yeah. frankly, um, just because of the rush with, with, with which they're being made and they have to be made. You know, it's not, it's not like you can choose at this point. You know, I, I also just sort of, I think it's an invitation to an, asking more people to look at what are the other crises that we haven't been paying attention to you know i hear a lot about healthcare workers and how grateful we are to them and hell yeah these are these are some like angelic people right now you know that are risking their lives to treat others and, and literally losing their lives to treat others mm -hmm. in a lot of places and the fact is though those people go to work every day anyway, you know, in my city where we have like epidemic levels of gun violence. I, I was a member of a community garden a couple of years ago and there was a surgical assistant as a member in that garden and she would come show up and sometimes she would just vent. She just had to, it was like, you know, I'm just tired of hour after hour somebody coming in with, gunshot wounds, you know, and it's, why aren't we doing something about this, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I do think a lot of healthcare workers have been putting out that call for a long time mm -hmm. and we haven't been listening. So what else aren't we listening to? You know, this is a big invitation to listen and figure out what we really need to be prioritizing. Oh, so much. So yeah, I, I, I want to read it again. I read Charles Eisenstein's essay, The Coronation, and one there's a few thoughts he sparked that I'd, I'd be grateful for. And one of them is this realization that right now, globally, humanity is displaying an extraordinary capacity to communicate and cooperate and enact things really, really fast. And one one thing that seems very conducive to that being able to happen is the fact that it's I mean, when you look closer, it gets more complicated, but at a surface level, it seems like a very easy to identify, simple to categorize enemy that we can basically mm -hmm. launch a war on. You know, COVID-19 is the enemy of humanity and we're going to launch a full-scale war against it and we've all got a common enemy so we can, you know, we can stand together in this, this joint fight and share information and research and all, all that kind of stuff. Whereas as right. Charles pointed out, the endemic levels of gun violence or the fact that however many orders of magnitude of human beings die or then, then have died already with coronavirus die every year due to you know childhood starvation or extreme poverty or chronic smog and pollution levels what you know whatever the case may be the difference being that those aren't easily categorizable simple enemy to launch a war against those are complex um systemic symptoms of you know underlying dynamics and blah 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 blah, blah. yeah yeah and yet there, like you say there's any number of crises smaller bigger same size you know in the queue and um, i'm noticing there's that there's often an underlying underlying feeling to the narrative of you know when we 
when we get through coronavirus and then we get through the economic fallout of coronavirus, you know, then we'll be back to some kind of normality. And it's like, well, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> for, the reality is for a lot of people, that normal sucks. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So, so it's like, well, come on, you know, you, have you not been paying attention? Do we not have eyes, you know? to yeah. see what what's already going on that the normal is not really that awesome so i yeah charles eisenstein's been up for me a lot i have to say i really like a lot of his work and the things he says and i'm thinking in particular right now of something from his book climate a new story he's basically you know perhaps one of the bigger premises of, of that book is that ecosystems have been collapsing all over the place you know, if only even in our backyards and the wetlands in our neighborhood. And we haven't been paying attention to that. Like, why did it take a global climate impact to, why did we wait until the impact was global, like on this massive scale, almost to where it's like unrelatable or we can't even quite relate to it through action? Why don't we care about the wetland in our backyard or the loss of pollinator habitat or the fact that, you know, we're losing whole species of pollinators and that is as much of a crisis. We don't have to wait until these absolute tipping points to take action. And, you know, his thing with that book is that the environmental movement is really pivoting towards, you know, climate change is now the big selling point. And before we had, you know, before climate change was a really popular thing to talk about, frankly, wetlands were collapsing and pollinator habitat was disappearing and, you know, on and on and on, you know, every, every environmental catastrophe you can think of was still ongoing and still is ongoing. What about the climate makes that such like, what about global climate change makes that different, you know? The solution is still to go and fix our wetlands and create pollinator habitat and plant trees, you know, like the solutions are the same. So is a new narrative going to actually, is the global climate change narrative going to actually motivate us to care for our local places? That's a big question mark that we don't have an answer to. Yeah, I, as you're talking, I was thinking, I think it comes from Yeomans, but the, the cascade of erosion, you know, that in a landscape, we, we might come and see around. I'm looking out the window at a landscape where 200 years ago, or whatever it is, the gold miners came through and cut down all the trees and blasted a lot of, well, removed a lot of life from the system. And then, then as the, mm-hmm. and overgrazed and as the, as the, bio, the, the subsurface biomass left, the water left with it. So there was a life erosion followed by a, a water erosion and then and then the soils just got, there's nothing for it to hang on to so that falls away and if we happen to be att- paying attention to the soil at least it's like, oh shit there's a soil soil erosion issue let's do something about it but the erosion started 100 years ago mm-hmm. and it's that thing that like when, when i first got into permaculture the thing that smacked me in the face was like hang on a second so we know how to do this like we, we could collaborate and 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 turn our parks and homes and streets etc into these thriving abundant ecosystems that provide for human needs locally and, and free up a lot of our time to enjoy and express ourselves and all that kind of stuff so like we that's a choice that's an option 
um, why why wouldn't we be doing it? And and we're not. And it seems like it's not until there's a directly life-threatening or something that massively impinges on and threatens our our way of life and the things we depend on that we pay attention. But even then, it's still a question mark as to whether we're going to kind of go towards the light in a sense or just fight to get back to the the darkness that predated the shock. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what it seems like right now is we're just waiting to return to normalcy. And yeah. my whole thing is that, well, normal three weeks ago wasn't that awesome for a lot of people. So yeah. <laughs> what are what are we doing? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And hey, not but- that I think we should, you know, let the whole economy collapse or anything. I'm not advocating for that at all. I'm really just like hoping that this can, that this crisis can open eyes to other crises that have been going on for a long time, unabated, you know, really without a lot of attention and that we don't continue to keep waiting for big events like this that throw us totally off course until we do something different, you know? And are you, are you um, acting on that sort of desire or intention in terms of doing any writing about it or anything like that? I mean, I know you're pretty busy with all your other stuff. Yeah, I've been pretty swamped. Um, but like I said at the beginning, particularly in relationship to coronavirus, because one, we don't know. I'm very hesitant to write on something sort of speculatively. Looks like my power might be going out. It's super stormy right now. My lamp is flickering. Um, I'm very hesitant to write on something that, you know, is still unfolding Mm. because I don't want to go on record with a lot of things that, you know, are are actively shifting and changing by the hour, it seems. It's a tricky one, right? I can relate to that. It really is. But at the same time, it's like, what if it just keeps unfolding at this rate? So, you know, (laughs) at some point you've got to kind of say, okay, I'm going to jump in and, of course. And acknowledge the unknown, if, if, if that's my thing, which is why I'm sitting with, this, with the whole making permaculture stronger thing. To, to, I, I, don't, I don't want to barrel on oblivious to what's happening. I want to tease out and, and actively search for the, the, the relevance of everything that's already been happening to what's happening now. But at the same time, being overwhelmed by, the, by being at the edge of my sense-making capacity and just, just to catch up with what already has happened, let alone what's happening tomorrow and the next day. Right. Well, there's also... A- I don't know if mutual aid is a term that's that's used where you're at, um, but that's sort of a, been a big rise in the pan- pandemic is mutual aid networks of people, community members, neighbors, helping each other out, right, in, in an organized communal fashion. And I've almost felt like some pressure to, not, not pressure, but like peer pressure almost, you know, like, oh, this this friend is doing this, this friend's doing that. Wow. And I have coworkers and friends right now who are, I mean, they delivered like 8,000 meals to kids who are out of school that are on school lunch program. Like they depend on school for breakfast and lunch um, economically that they've delivered 8,000 meals to kids in the last two weeks from restaurants that had to close. Like, conglomerated all the food from these restaurants, cooked it up in a commercial kitchen space and delivered these meals out. It's amazing. And I'm like, should I be there? You know, like, should I go there and start chopping carrots or onions or whatever? And 
in conversation with this friend, he was just like, no, you know, we're good. Like we have a bunch of chefs and restaurant workers who are out of work that are in the kitchen that are doing this. And I'm like, okay, great. And I've learned through several scenarios like that. And I, I have done some, you could call it mutual aid things, basically just delivering supplies to people that don't have it. But what I've really realized is that a lot of people are meeting needs right now and, and needs are being met. And that's a really beautiful thing. And someone still needs to focus on what we work, you know, like what we were working toward and before all this mm-hmm. and, and not lose that in the midst of all this. Yeah, right? yeah. And I, I kind of am finding myself in that place where I'm like, I know for one about myself that I'm very good at holding a vision and sticking, you know, to the process of it. And that's, that's largely what I've, what I'm going to continue to do through this so Mm. that I I can continue to build the things that we were talking about to address the crises that already existed, you know, in our community Yeah, and, and be the the long-term visioner in in this space, Mm. you know, Mm. There's value in that too. We don't all have, what I'm saying is there's value in all that too. And we don't all have to run around, you know, throwing toilet paper rolls to our friends, you know, yeah. <laughs> or delivering food or whatever, you know. Yeah. enough fully. That's, that's, that's beautifully put. Yeah. So much of what you've said is like, Oh yeah. There's been a parallel um, thing going on for me. Like mm. with respect to making permaculture stronger, I'm just, I'm, I'm softening and relaxing a little bit because at first it was like, okay, everything I was doing, like the whole thing about the originating impulse of permaculture, like who the hell cares about that anymore? You know, like there's a friggin' global pandemic, pandemic and, you know, no one's going to listen for five minutes about, you know, me musing about what happened 30 years ago when permaculture started and trying to tease out some kind of complex <laughs> reason that's relevant today, you know? So right. I kind of just dropped all that and, 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 and chose things that were more immediate, immediately relevant and applicable. And, and I kind of thought, Oh, well, that's it now. Like just indefinitely I'm going to be inviting on guests where we can explore coronavirus explicitly, but yeah, within a very short time frame, like a week or two, it's like, you know what? I really believe in the stuff I was doing before I knew coronavirus existed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really relevant and I'm going to go back to that. I'm going to go back to the book I'm writing and living design process and making permaculture stronger and, 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 and the whole design process conversation. And that, that feels good. And with, you know, it's not like I'm going to flip back and suddenly not mention what's happening and ignore it, but I'm going to, going to hold, of course. Both, hold both. And that's right. Yeah. yeah. It can be a both situation for sure. What are you feeling about, making permaculture stronger. Oh, thank you. thanks for asking. I was meant to update you anyway. So I'm feeling really um, energized at the moment. Like it's, it's been remarkable. I mean, what, what, what happened was I went to New Zealand with my family and there was just a lot going on beforehand. And, and then we just, we're off grid there. And so for something like two and a half, three months, nothing really happened. You know, there was barely a whisper on the, on the website and really write anything. There was hardly any podcast right. episodes. And so part of me was like, oh, presumably if anyone was kind of in the swing of following along after three months of no gratification, they've probably gone and found something else to do with their attention. You know? <laughs> um, but to my delight and, um, and surprise, when I, when I came back on air and launched an episode, you know, within days, hundreds and hundreds of people were, were listening to it and continuing to listen to past episodes um, 
So there was this kind of standing, standing readiness and attention. And there's been a real flood of people signing up to support the project and showing up to the, the, the we have this online community now, which is really finding right. its feet. And every, we met a few days ago, so every six weeks, we gather to collaboratively explore and, and develop our design process capacity in mind. Um, and, and that's got a really alive energy to it. And there's people from the U S um, Han from Amsterdam and um, people from New Zealand and Australia, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's mm-hmm. really alive. So I'm, yeah, I'm feeling really excited and, and energized and, and wanting to lean into making permaculture stronger more and more. It does seem like there's more engagement just in general on online, you know, yeah. in virtual yeah. spaces. Yeah, Lots yeah. I'm wondering what... I haven't yeah. heard from in a long time. You know? For sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm hearing that too. So, yeah, maybe what I'm talking about is purely an artifact of um, of that. Although, I'm, you know, I'm appreciating people finding value in... Mm-hmm. which is a huge hugely exciting thing for me right because i'm i'm in that's this is my thing i'm kind of a design plot a renegade design process philosopher or something i'm really <laughs> conscious of keeping it practical and i'm always involved in numerous practical projects but i'm really into the underlying ideas and assumptions and and going in and finding where we're unconsciously regurgitating culturally dominant ways of trying to create things and ways that shoot us in the foot and all that kind of stuff, you know? Right. And so to, to feel heard in that quest and appreciated is I'm extremely grateful for, you know, cause it, it means I'm, I'm inspired to continue kind of scratching a deep itch I have and, 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 and doing this work in the world, which is part of with, with Carol Sanford's fourth level of paradigm, which she calls regenerate life. You know, it's, it's helped me understand, well, that's part of how I'm, aspiring towards a regenerate life level, which is about who am I uniquely? What fires me up uniquely? Mm. How, can, how can my unique resources, connections, skills, talents, whatever, strengths, weaknesses, how can they uniquely contribute to this fast changing context we find ourselves in? It's like, oh, I get, I can kind of keep doing the same thing. You know, I don't have to, like you say, like shut down the blog and go and chop carrots. Right, right. That's so beautiful. Um, just about the piece of, realizing what your strengths are and you know what is your essence and you know what does that then mean to the work that you do in the world or how you use your energy in life i've been reading a lot of carol too i know you're involved in one of her communities i'm just finding so much value in in what she has to say in particular around essence and the essence of ourselves and Actually, I was thinking about this on my drive home from work to talk to you about was I feel like I've gotten really good at working with the essence of people and this one almost blind spot that that remains for me is the essence of places Uh. is one that I'm almost... I'm not going to say struggling, but it's like something that's really alive for me right now is what is the essence of place and absence of people and with people, right? It's very, it's almost really complex and dynamic. I think the people stuff is huge. And I've been saying for a long time that the world likes to give us stories to live out, you know, likes to tell us what our story is. And it's really important for us to figure out what our story is for ourselves and what that then means for, you know, what we do in the world. 
with places, it's, it's funnier, you know, I can read a landscape, obviously that's not, you know, that's sort of basic permaculture stuff, but, but to truly tap into essence of a place and the life of it is really a deep, deep level of inquiry. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That's one I'm, I'm embedded in right now. That, particularly. That's, that's great to hear. I'll just share one, one conversation we had um, on the last session was some, some um, Trevor Law, who's made so many brilliant contributions to the blog over the years, has, uh-huh. has recently joined us and, and, and we're, as well as exploring frameworks and, and um, ideas, each, each session we have someone speak to an actual real project they've got going on and look at what, look at the synergies and the ways that the ideas might bring value and all that kind of stuff. And he's, he's um, been really generously sharing a, a beautiful project he's involved with, with, with starting a community garden on a large patch of land outside the place he's staying in. But he, he made the comment that uh, for him, the word essence has, has certain flavors, um, maybe he's heard in certain circles or for whatever reason that, that don't work that well for him. And so mm-hmm. I'm doing an experiment which I can relate to. I'm kind of okay with it, but I can, I, I get that too. And so I'm, I'm doing experiments and using u, like alternatives, like uniqueness or singularity uh-huh. or, or whatever it is, which, which really points to the same thing. I just wanted to say that in case any listeners have any sort of cringe factor at all when they hear, hear the word essence. I mean, I'd like to explore that more, but yeah, what, what, what you were saying about tapping into the uniqueness of, of people and place or people and landscape and, and place, which, brings them both together yeah I'm, I'm sitting with a lot of questions there too it, not just the uniqueness also the whole you know how do you how like the people or the family they're a whole and they're on a landscape which is arbitrarily subdivided by fences so that's not a living whole <laughs> so do, do we go right out to the whole life shit and we find the uniqueness of that you know there's all these questions that come up that i'm really wanting to focus on on in on i, I have right. had some really beautiful experiences i had one over summer in a small town um helping feeding into a, a project that was starting there that came out of a living design process workshop that that i was part of running and and i, I feel i feel like i'm starting to just by asking that question what's because what, one thing carol she's shocking i find her valuable too shockingly valuable provocatively valuable uh-huh. but it's something i've heard her say to others and myself so many times is is okay that's what you think you're doing that's really vague like i want you to be concrete and specific and talk about what what is unique about what you're up to and what, what it is you're dealing with. And I've been getting a lot of value out of sitting in the space of that question in so many ways, like with purpose statements, so many purpose statements that clients bring to me, it's like, that'd be a great purpose statement for your project, for their project, for pretty much any <laughs> project anywhere. You know, it's like totally. you, you are absent from the statement. So let, it's this vague generic general. I want, I want, I want to feel you in the statement. And, and so that, that leads in healthy directions. And also with the people, more and more like, who, who are you? Mo- not moving from, okay, what do you want? Let's articulate, who are you? Who are you? Mm-hmm. Wow, you're, you're really unique. And how can I get a better feel for your uniqueness? Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, it, that's kind of similar to how I ended up back in St. Louis, where I was born and raised. Uh-huh. It was really tapping into, you know, who am I and what are my foundational experiences you know and what do i care about you know what is my originating impulse yeah i asked that of myself for permaculture since i heard ben haggard on mm-hmm. your show bring that idea up i was like well what is my originating impulse i mean i knew it immediately i was just 
I was like, I'm here in my home city very consciously and, in, and intentionally decided to do this. And it's because my originating impulse is comes out of this place. You know, it, it came out of the trauma that I experienced in this place and wanting to do something about that, you know, and, and use the skills and knowledge and methods and, and all of the things that I've learned out in the world, you know, bring that back to this place and have an impact on people, you know, potentially like me when I was a kid, you know, that are struggling and don't know what way to turn and, you know, involved in crazy self-destructive things and provide an, an alternative. Mm-hmm. But really the alternative is figuring is help, guiding somebody else through their own story of what their impulses, you know, and, and who they are and what mm-hmm. makes them unique and mm-hmm. where they fit then, you know? So I think that that's a, that's the most crucial work actually makes me go back to what we started with you saying, yeah, I really wish I could just kind of be home right now, ruminating in my head and just, you know, being it's like, that's, that's why I see so much potential and opportunity in this pandemic is that it's giving, it's allowing people time to potent to at least potentially do that. You know, it's not that, not to say that everybody's going to do that, but I feel there's an inner urge to do that anyway and some people are gonna pick that up you know and yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna make make a comment to the listeners in case you missed the hint there i, I encourage you to consider the possibility of taking the afternoon off or the morning off <laughs> taking a stroll <laughs> meditating on this question of what is my originating impulse what's unique about me another way to say ask that too is that i found helpful mm-hmm. is whose story am i living out Mm. you know sort of ask oneself is this my story or did i pick up somebody else's story and go with it one thing that has emerged from the space in terms of we're making permaculture stronger heading is that is heading is that i've got i'm going to explore a new thing i do on episodes which is i work with someone at the stage they get their the first couple of people that have volunteered are um, they've been permaculture designers at a professional level for five, six, ten years, whatever it's been. And they're having this conversation with themselves, like, what is the story of me being a permaculture designer that I'm that I'm living in, in mm. some sense of how could it be more my story? And so I'm quite excited because I get to be developing my own capacity, you know, and expressing my own uniqueness in the process of, of supporting others to have that conversation with themselves, which mm-hmm. is such that there's value for me. There's value for them, hopefully. And I'm sensing there's going to be value for people listening, you know, because so, so, there's so many overlaps between the stories we've inherited and all that kind of thing. And where it's an ongoing thing and we, we, we have a conversation and the person might go and you know, make some decisions or, and, and I'm pulling in different um, living systems thinking frameworks. I'm, I'm, so I'm really excited about that. I've, I've recorded one of these conversations, which I'll, I think I'll come back to with the coronavirus oh, awesome. thing. I kind of dropped the ball, but yeah. That'll be I can't wait to listen. That sounds amazing. Oh, good to, yeah, good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and doing that more and more too, even with each other and with, with everyone, it's like, well, sure yeah. we can, we can catch up and have a great conversation. I mean, I sense there, there is a degree to which that is happening in the conversations we enjoy together, but yeah, what, what if we can be, 
the, that question can be in the space. And yeah. Supporting each to catching each other when we're, when we're falling into someone else's story. Yeah. We're, we're bringing on a seasonal employee right now and I emailed them and I asked, this, this was a much longer email, but I just threw it in there. It sort of came to me. This question was, I wanted to know more about them. Right. I, I, so I said like, what are you passionate about? You know, what do you care about? Why do you want to do this? And, and I said, I just framed it sort of very Buddhist and said, what, is, what do you want to be doing with your one precious life? And I think I'm always kind of engaging on that level with people, perhaps uncomfortably and sort of unwillingly. People don't necessarily sign up for it, but I just can't help it. I, I want to know who people are. I really want, I, I, I want that for people to, to be able to have a conversation with somebody that's genuine and they generally, genuinely are curious about who you are, you know? Well, that's beautiful. One, one, one possibility that's emerging is a, what you're saying lands is, is um, maybe we get you in the mix sometime, you know, it doesn't necessarily just obviously have to be me. Yeah, sure. with someone. We can, there could be a, a, a group of us. There could be several of us. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Someone, and, and, and I really think it can bring, it can bring value. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to pursue that. I want to acknowledge too, that, that you the thing you raised about questions around honing in on the essence or the uniqueness, the singularity of a, of a landscape that I have question marks about also. I've, I've, I've had some experiences where some things have happened and yeah, I, I want to ask more questions about that. So one thing I'm going to do is get um, some combination of, you know, the Regenesis people back in the mix and have them talk us through the story of place. Um, and all, there's Excellent. a lot of willingness there. Bill, Bill Reed and uh, Joel Glansberg are definitely up for it. And I'll, if I pester people in a certain way, yeah, so, yeah. You know, maybe, uh, I hope to get Ben Haggard back as well. And maybe some of the, even some of the other, I mean, there's a guy, Tim Murphy, who's part of that group too. Though, I think yeah, so. I know Tim. Yeah. Um, and even, um, even I was just going to say, um, they're probably not listening to this, but but if they are, um, be prepared. Uh, Brad Lancaster and Ethan Solviev are both um, part of Carol Sanford's um, change agent community. And uh-huh. of course, uh, you know, are really well known and respected in permaculture. So I'm looking forward to hearing because presumably they've been sitting with these questions and and learning and and getting these different perspectives. Yeah, I mean, gosh. It's so it's all it's just all so exciting. All these new frontiers, yep. yeah. Everything's feeling. Brad's amazing, I will uh-huh. say. I, yeah, I'm I have that impression. Ethan. I have that impression. Yeah, Ethan's amazing too. I've learned a lot from Ethan actually, just sort of not even knowing him, just following yep. some of his work. Yeah. But Brad was one of my original teachers okay. of permaculture, so he's he's just like the coolest dude on earth to me. Yeah. <laughs> They're all sitting at home anyway, right? So exactly, yeah, it's yeah. The perfect yeah. time to ask them for yeah. to I'm, pester them. I'm I'm doing them a huge favor. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, tell me some links or something. You know, like save me writing on the show notes again. Are you happy to share the the URL of your um for my work? Yeah, yeah, permaculture.org and realearthdesign.com. That's my design company, which is not on hold, but just not that active right now because I'm more permanently on one project right now. Permaculture.org. We run classes. Um, yeah. Check us out. We have a long history and lots of incredible people involved. So you have a long history and a, and a bright future. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll also say we just launched um, Delvin Wilkinson, who's 
been involved with us for a long time. He's put together, I certainly had a hand in it, um, as did our board, and we put together our new diploma. We're calling it the People's Diploma. And it's sort of perfect for the times because it's basically a, a study, self-study program with some mentorship where people can advance their practice, you know, from the PDC. And after your permaculture design course, people are always looking for the next step. We put this, this together specifically as that next step. Great. All right, Jason. Thanks for having me again.